0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
2: Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, a guy who definitely watched the Super Bowl. It's Matt
0: Morgan. Joey, I, I I can't find my Gone in 60 Seconds DVD. Uh, I mean, it was just here a minute ago, so... <laughs> well done, Matt.
2: I, I Dang it. I hope that you find it. <laughs> that was excellent. Uh, and next, a guy who probably
1: watched a superb owl. It's Dana Roach. Uh, the new Unset Unsanction was unveiled this week. Unstable went unpurchased by me, and I'm unexcited about this unconventional offering but it's one set out of 15 unintended for us. So unbunch those undies, Twitter people. (laughs) Wow.
2: Dana, I'm going to live with you. I'm not sure if I followed all of that, but it sounds like a lot
0: of (laughs) (laughs) fun. I I was unable to keep up with it too, but I appreciate it.
2: Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is a deck building website that collects data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, we like to give all of that data a little more context. What is our topic this week, fellas? Talk about the beginning and the end. Steps. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are so many cool things that can happen at the beginning of a player's turn and at the end of a player's turn. So we wanted to talk about some of our favorite cards and our favorite tricks that you can do before your turn even starts and after your turn is over because there's a lot of cool value that you can get from those particular stages of the game. But before we get there, we've got to announce something really awesome. We are coming up on our 100th episode, which means we're going to be doing a giveaway by the time that we get there. So we wanted to mm-hmm. let people know that we're doing this really cool giveaway and how you can enter we'll be announcing the winners on episode 100
0: yep and this one is easy enough to do all you have to do followers and listeners is follow us actually so on facebook (laughs) youtube twitter and then also if you leave a review on your podcast app whether it's itunes or android leave us a review and those reviews will get you two entries in along with following us you get to one entry for every social media that you follow us on so make sure you follow us again on facebook twitter subscribe on youtube and then leave reviews on your podcast app
2: Yeah, exactly. And for this giveaway, we will be picking three winners to get a pretty cool package, actually, that we're really excited uh, to deliver. So... When you win from this giveaway, you will get in touch with us to let us know two things. First, whether you would like an EDH rec shirt or an EDH rec cast playmat. And second, let us know which new commander you are going to be building coming up. Because what we're going to do is put together a package including some of the high synergy and top cards for that commander according to their EDH rec page to help get your deck jump started.
0: Very nice. This is a modal giveaway. <laughs> yeah
2: exactly so let us know if you're going to be building you know Miss Angie Falconrath or if you're going to be building a new Chulane deck or a Korvold deck or if you're building Perforos from the new Theros set any of that let us know which commander you'll be building and if you'd like a shirt or a playmat and we'll get a package together to help jumpstart that
0: deck for you so that you can get it underway as soon as possible so even if you're not playing blue you don't have to play you know chemistry's Insight but you are going to be able to jumpstart these decks so let us know what you guys are playing because we do want to hear from you
2: Matt, no, that was the worst. That was a horrible joke. I love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's the most Matt
0: joke possible. It's up there. It is.
2: This is a really, really exciting milestone. We're so excited to finally hit episode 100 and we're so excited for everyone to join us there. But actually, before we move on to our main topic, Dana, in your intro joke there, you had mentioned stuff about the new set Unsanctioned coming out. So let's actually take a quick moment to talk about the new cards from Unsanctioned. I know that it's not necessarily a product for you and Matt, I'm not sure if you're necessarily a silver-bordered guy either, but there are some new legendary creatures that are coming out in the new Unsanctioned that people might be interested in. So we might as well take a brief moment to talk about them here. Are there any that jump out to you guys from the new silver-bordered cards?
1: Um, you know, Alexander Clamilton's just funny. Um, <laughs> as, as a fan of the musical, I can respect that.
2: His name is Alexander Clamilton, and he's <laughs> indeed very wordy. Whenever you cast a wordy spell, he scries, and then he can reveal the Top of your library. If it has a lot of lines of rule text, he pumps up and can fight something. That is
1: definitely a a, a good homage, I would say. And from the art, I would assume he's not going to miss his shot. Wow! Okay, well done. Yep, yeah, well done,
2: Matt. Any of these jump out to you? We've also got things like or a Cornelia fashionable filter and Pippa Duchess of Dice. Any of these catch your fancy? I
0: I do like breaking the fourth wall with the Surgeon j- Commander. Surgeon Commander, <laughs> uh, the the wombat bat chameleon thing. Um, But I'm with Dana. Silver Border just isn't for me, but I I can appreciate the jokes on here. Uh, Several of them did make me chuckle quite a bit.
2: Yeah, some of them are a little strange. For example, there's Circadian Night Owl, which doesn't look all that interesting if you are actually building it as a commander. Like, it is a legendary thing, but it has this weird ability that you can only activate from sunrise to sunset or from sunset to sunrise, and it gets like flying or vigilance. And that just doesn't feel all that great compared to stuff like you mentioned, the Surgeon General Oops Commander. Uh, That is kind of an interesting one, particularly because it references an ability that we haven't seen yet. It says whenever you augment, enchant or mutate a creature you control, you draw a card and it can tap to add a white, blue, black, red or green mana to your mana pool. So it can be a five color commander. That mutate thing is not a silver bordered mechanic. That is something that Mara has specifically said on his blog will be in an upcoming set so that's kind of weird we're actually getting hints about the future from this
0: silver-bordered set that's kind of new yeah i mean maro kind of does what he wants he he calls quite a few <laughs> shots around there so i'm sure with his silver border baby that he, that he has here it wouldn't surprise me if he said i'm just gonna kind of do this you're welcome guys
2: that's That's pretty funny. (laughs) He also doesn't throw away his shot. Uh, So EDHREC doesn't necessarily measure too much about the silverboard stuff. It's just very difficult for the website to be able to put together and present information for. Um, But I actually got to say, aside from maybe the Surgeon General Commander, uh, the the five color guy here. I actually think that I kind of prefer if I were to play the silver bordered uh, style of commander, I actually think that I prefer some of the legendary creatures that we got from Unstable. Things like Griselda Monster Masher and Baron Von Count, which can just say destroy target player, stuff like that. I actually think that I kind of prefer the previous legends to some of these new offerings because the rewards for their abilities seem a little less powerful or less interesting, less novel, I guess, uh, than some of the other stuff that we saw. Alexander Clamilton, aside for the name only.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of agree. The, the The last set had, at least from what we've seen so far, they're a little more interesting. But um, you know, I'm sure it'll make for a fun draft experience and, and a and a fun thing to play once in a while. So I'm glad that that the game is is actually making things for people who want to do this kind of stuff that they're interested in in producing content for. A variety of different audiences, so mm-hmm. good for people who are into it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're getting a fun set. I'm not sure that it's a draft set. I think you had mentioned draft. There, it, I think this one Did is I, actually okay. a,
2: a full product, and it comes with a bunch of uh oh, you're right. yep. new lands for folks, too. Do you guys like the new lands? Do you prefer the Theros lands? What type of big full-art lands do you guys prefer now that we've got another awesome set of them?
0: Yeah, the, the basics for me, I mean, they're fine. The, they're probably my least favorite of all the unsets. Uh Unhinged oh. Unglued, those are probably my two top favorites. Unstable from a couple years ago, that... That get bumped up because unsanctioned, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't think the style is for me. But the first two sets, though, those were just absolutely gorgeous and probably some of my favorite basics ever. So I'm holding up to a pretty high standard.
2: I'm kind of surprised to hear that, to be honest. A lot of folks are really liking all the new lands, but really we are in a state where we do have such a plethora of options. You've got so many full arts at this point from Zendikar, from Almonkhet, from Unstable and all of those other unsets and also the full art snow-covered lands and stuff like that too. So we are kind of drowning in them. So that is actually a good point. You have so many choices now with your lands. Uh, Dana, do you think that you'll pick any of these new lands up to be in foil? Because we know how much you love your foil lands.
1: I do, but I don't think so, to to kind of follow up what you said, Joey, and to paraphrase Syndrome from The Incredibles. Wow. Once everything is special, nothing kind of is anymore. And I do feel that way to a degree about all these special basic lands we keep getting at some point... It ceases to be anything that I'm not interested in because there's so many different variants of it.
2: All right. First of all, Syndrome was the villain of that movie. And second of all, (laughs) that is the thing that is at the beginning of the movie because the rest of the movie is about disproving that idea. But okay. Don't know. The villain. Joey, we need to talk. I think you
1: misunderstood (laughs) what you. (laughs)
2: Anyway, I think that we have sidetracked ourselves long enough. What we need to do is get onto our main topic about the beginning and the end steps. There are so many cool things that can happen on the first and the last phases of the turn. So today, what we're going to do is take a look at those phases that bookend the turn and study some of the corner case rules interactions that might come up during those steps during a commander game or discuss our favorite tricks that can happen during those particular steps at the beginning and the end of the turn because sometimes that's where you can do some of the most powerful stuff available to you and sort of break your brain a little bit because it can be a little confusing. Let's start as always with the beginning. We're gonna start with the beginning phase and it's a pretty brief breakdown about how the beginning phase works. It's pretty simple. They go as follows. At the start of your turn, you untap, you upkeep, and then you draw pretty standard stuff. A lot of folks are really familiar with this, but there are some things that can happen during and in between each of those phases as well. So for some specific notes on these, for example, during the untap step, no one gets priority. You can't cast spells or use abilities during this phase, so you can't in response to someone untapping their lands. It's just a thing that happens, for example. But that doesn't mean that there can't be stuff that also happens during the untap step. So, Matt, what's a fun couple of cards that you know of that will, you know, work during that whole untap step?
0: Well, the first two that jumped to mind for me, Joey, are going to be Seedborn Muse and Unwinding Clock. Those are ones that untap your permanence when other people have their untap step. That's something that's incredibly powerful in all sorts of decks. There's not just one archetype that benefits from either of these two cards obviously Unwinding clock hitting artifacts likes artifact center decks but that effect is just it's very very powerful uh, it's not triggered either so it just happens along with untapping like the opponents do so it's not something that you can really respond to it's not triggered ability it just happens and so the fact that you get an untap step with Seedborn muse for example three other times throughout a you know a turn cycle, that's such a powerful way to just generate a ton of mana. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Oh, man. Seedborn Muse was such an amazing card in my uh, Krufix God of Horizons deck, and it's also a similar ability uh, to the card Prophet of Krufix, which is now banned, and for good reason, because it was gross. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> uh, importantly, when we're talking about cards like this, though, like you said, it's not a triggered ability, which means that if you have multiple Seedborn Muses, that doesn't stack they don't do anything they will not make you untap multiple times you can't respond during any of those bits because you are just untapping all your lands when other people untap their stuff too there's no point that you'd be able to get multiple of that effect to float mana between those phases or something like that so it's an important thing to note about these cards but even despite that even if they don't work necessarily in multiples they're pretty good on their own dana what's another card that is pretty decent in the untap step too
1: um uh, mesmeric orb um no one gets priority during that untap step so anything that would cause a triggered ability during untap is delayed until upkeep so orb triggers each resolve one at a time during the upkeep phase which means you can respond to those and act in between them if you want to ah
2: yeah Uh, this orb is so good every time people untap stuff then they mill a card it's so good to fill the graveyard and as far as I can tell from my own personal use of the card everyone seems to hate this
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is it is pretty annoying to have to deal with because it's almost like you get punished just for trying to play the game. So I, I understand why people get a little salty about this card, but if you're trying to mill people out or even if you're trying to, you know, you're playing, what is it, the Mimeoplasm, Joey? That's got to be yeah. one that you like milling everybody around with. I I get it. I don't like it, <laughs> but I get it. And like if you've just bought four soul guide lanterns I mean
1: I guess it gives you something to do it with those. It gives me a lot to exile.
2: Hey, yeah. I don't like where this conversation is going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's not cool. But yeah, I like what you mentioned there Dana because you usually wouldn't get priority Uh, during that particular step but there is a triggered ability that sort of happens as a result of it so like you said it does move to the upkeep step is when all of those abilities start Mm -hmm. to resolve so that's when you can actually uh, respond to those effects when all of the stuff is already untapped and during the upkeep step which means that you might have some upkeep triggers so let's actually talk about some of those now let's move to the next phase in the turn and talk about the upkeep what are some cards classic commander stuff that works during the upkeep dana
1: well, the first one that jumps to mind here, and, and the one I'll mention next is is one that interacts with that sometimes. Phyrexian Arena is a really popular card that people play in Commander that draws you an extra card. Um, but one mistake I see people make a lot is they just draw two cards during their draw step, and technically that's not what it does. Phyrexian Arena draws you an extra card at the beginning of your upkeep that deals the damage, then you have the entire, entire upkeep step for things to happen before you then draw that that second card, which is effectively your your draw phase card. So those don't happen simultaneously, and that can be relevant sometimes, um, especially when you're looking at things like the next card, which I've had this happen multiple times in games where someone's tried to copy a Frexian Arena with Mirage Mirror. Mm. So, so, so their hope is, hey, someone else has a Frexian Arena out. On my turn, I want to copy it with Mirage Mirror so I can draw the extra card. Well, you can't. There's no opportunity to do that that beginning of your upkeep trigger that, that happens with Frexian Arena by the time that occurs, there's just no chance for you to put something in place before it like the mirage mirror to make it a copy of arena and have it actually function
2: yeah exactly that ability is already on the stack you've missed the point where it would trigger so a mirage mirror becoming a copy of something that triggers on upkeep during the upkeep would miss any opportunity that's a really great observation and i like also what you mentioned about phyrexian arena being an upkeep thing that is distinct from your draw step if someone has for example some type of underworld dreams effect out which you know causes you to lose life every time you draw a card if you have a phyrexian arena out you would draw a card on your upkeep and if you drew an enchantment and removal spell, you could actually get rid of their underworld dreams before you move to your draw step and draw another a card to avoid taking damage. So that is something that can kind of yep. matter a whole lot, the difference between those two steps.
1: You, you could solve that problem, but if you were like, say, at one life, you wouldn't have a chance to deal with the initial draw that deals one damage to you.
2: Well, yes. Yes. That's <laughs> so true. are you saying that you go to one life a lot, Dana? Is it because you pay so much life to draw I've, cards? I've absolutely died in my Phyrexian <laughs> Arena on more than one occasion. It's it's funny for us to talk about Phyrexian Arena, though, because one of the things that I think is important to note while we're talking about the upkeep is that it kind of takes a while for it to get back to you. I've noted before that Mm I have lost a little bit of my luster for Phyrexian Arena. It's still a really good card. And Dana, I think you've mentioned before that this becomes a uh, you-play-both sort of situation. But I've personally gained more of an affinity for effects like Knight's Whisper or Painful Truths because those just immediately give you the cards right away. Whereas Phyrexian Arena, Mm -hmm. I mean, technically, you have to wait like eight turns before it draws you two extra cards and that's <laughs> yeah. just can be a bit of a delay like it's still good and games tend to go long but it is also just kind of like okay i'm checking my watch now i want those cards as soon as i can
0: really so just a
2: thing to sort of keep in mind
0: yeah for sure so joey one upkeep trigger that i really like and i'm sure you're extra familiar with is shielded whispering whispering one <sighs> Yeah, All about that definitely. death reanimation. So one thing that I have encountered is when the shielded trigger goes on the stack, people will try to then sacrifice creatures in order to get it in there to reanimate again with shielded. No, 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 not so fast. That's not how it works. With The way that the shielded trigger happens is that the the creature that you want to reanimate has to be in the graveyard at the time when the trigger goes on the stack. You have to have that target already in the graveyard. It doesn't say you may pick any creature it is. You have to pick a target creature. And so understanding the timing of when things get targeted and and especially when priority goes around. We've talked about that, that principle quite a bit already on this episode, but understanding when priority goes around during the upkeep, when you can react to triggers, especially something like shielded where you want something very specific in your graveyard You need to be able to to navigate that a little bit. The creature with Shieldred, for example, though, it has to be in the graveyard before you can target it with Shieldred's ability at the beginning of your upkeep.
2: Yeah, that is a great point to make. And that is something that I've personally wanted to do a whole lot. If I have, for example, an, an an Eternal Witness in play, and I want to, you know, try and sacrifice it somehow on my upkeep and then revive it with Shieldred on my upkeep, it doesn't work that way. I would have to sacrifice that Eternal Witness on any turn before it actually gets to mine so that Shieldred can actually see it in the graveyard and target it. That's another thing like with the Mirage Mirror trick that you mentioned earlier, Dana. Mirage Mirror isn't going to work on that upkeep trigger either because it will already mm-hmm. have passed and it needs to spit. Uh, pick a specific card, um, and that can also make it a little, a little sucky too. If I, you know, target a specific card on my upkeep, and then someone else responds to it by exiling that creature that I want to get back on my Shieldred, it's very, very sad. It's just really exquisitely sad.
0: <laughs> Maybe with a Soul Guide Lantern, for example.
2: Okay, so we're done with that. Enough of the Soul Guide Lanterns. Uh, there are some abilities that kind of contrast with this, though. So Shieldred. It's the kind of thing that you have to pick a specific target and you can't necessarily do some tricky things to get a creature into the graveyard before that target, yada yada, the stuff that we already talked about. But there are some other commanders that do have abilities that trigger without specific targets and that check themselves once again when those abilities start to resolve. So, for example, the commander Zedru the Great Hearted. This one gives away permanence to other players using an activated ability and it draws you cards and gains you life for each permanent that you gave to other people, that your opponents control, but that you own. It's a very weird sort of group hug, kind of control-y style Jeskai commander. Very, very interesting. And there's a cool trick that Zedru players can pull off. When the upkeep uh, trigger occurs for Zedru. They can actually, in response to that trigger, activate Zedru's activated ability to give away another permanent. Then, when the upkeep trigger resolves, she'll actually draw an extra card and gain an extra life because that ability checks itself again for the number of the permanents that you own but your opponent's control. It checks that number again once the ability finally resolves. So you can respond to weird tricks like that. This is also true for the commander Scarab God. This one also counts the number of zombies that you control to make your opponents lose life. So at the beginning of your upkeep, when the Scarab God triggers to make your opponents lose life, he can actually use his activated abilities to create more zombies to then make your opponents lose even more life once that ability is done resolving.
1: And a lot of those things kind of come down to the specific wording, yeah. to a degree especially. So there's, there's really not necessarily a hard and fast rule about you know, this thing does this, this thing doesn't work that way. You really have to read the card specifically and see how how the ability is worded. Yeah, absolutely. And, you
2: know, while we're on the subject of upkeeps, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about one of the classic upkeepy cards, and that's the enchantment paradox haze, which is a just three-man enchantment that says that you get another upkeep after your upkeep. I mean, as long as we're here, we have to mention it while we're on the subject, right?
0: Yeah, upkeep harmonicon yeah. or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I
1: really
0: I really like that, Matt. That's great.
1: You're welcome. I'm really surprised we have not got the end-stepped version of this at some point yet. Oh,
2: yeah. I'm sure that that's coming down the pipeline. There are plenty of end-step triggers that we'll get to later on. Uh, yeah, but there is a word of warning, Matt, that I know that you wanted to give people when it comes to upkeep steps.
0: Yeah, so we, we've been talking a lot about upkeep triggers being beneficial, but there are some that you don't want to copy, actually. Uh, up The cumulative upkeep mechanic, we haven't seen very much of in a long time. So if you have Paradox Haze and a Glacial Chasm, for example, you have to put a time counter on whatever card has cumulative upkeep, a Mystic Remora, for example, also. You have to put the time counter on there and pay that cumulative upkeep cost Which means Paradox Haze costs you a lot of life with Glacial Chasm, or you have to pay quite a bit of mana to keep that Mystic Remora out. So it is something you can, you know, have backfire on you a little bit. You want to make sure if you're playing Paradox Haze, keep an eye on those other cumulative upkeep cards and what else goes into the upkeep besides the good effects.
2: Yeah, Paradox Ace definitely seems like the kind of card that you pair more with the Zedru effects than you do with the Mystic Remora effects. But, I mean, those cumulative upkeep cards that you just mentioned, those things become so much stronger because of the fact that the upkeep takes a while for us to finally come back around to. Like, when I play a Glacial Chasm in my Titania deck, oh man, I feel so safe. Like, people just can't touch me. That land keeps me far away from all of the damage people, like, it's it's so difficult to do with it. Or Mystic Remora, that upkeep cost just is pretty small. You start off by paying one, and then another several turns happen, and then you pay two. It's not even all that unrealistic to pay three mana for a Mystic or more because of the number of cards that you can draw and the low investment that it costs you because of how convenient it is for you to not have to pay until many turns have passed. It really scales very well with the game. So we've talked about the untap, and we've talked about the upkeep, but there's also one more part, and that's the draw step. And there are some cool things that can happen in the draw step as well. Matt, what's a favorite of yours?
0: So... I, I mean, I would be remiss to not bring up Sylvan Library. I mean, it's it's a green enchantment that lets you draw <laughs> cards. So, of course, I'm going to bring this one up. But this one is a draw step trigger and, and basically has some weird little interactions where you draw a card, but then you also kind of draw two cards. You can choose between the three of them or you can just pay the four life and and keep any of them in your hand. So, it is nice. It's a great card advantage engine. It's one of those things that turns your life as a resource into cards. It's fantastic and in it's drawing cards each time. One of my favorite interactions though is pairing this with abundance where it's a replacement effect on abundance so instead of having to draw those cards then put them back, abundance with the replacement effect makes sure that you draw the card in a different way so not only can you control what cards you're drawing whether it's a land or an on land but you get to keep those cards no matter what because the cards were not drawn with Sylvan Library technically because of the replacement effect so you just get to keep three cards every turn if you want.
2: Man, I feel like you're that, that guy tapping his forehead meme right now. It's just like you don't have to pay for life to keep cards with Sylvan Library if you never draw the cards. With Sylvan <laughs> Library, exactly. It. Yeah, and that's also true of the card um, Underrealm Lich is another replacement effect that does a similar thing where instead of drawing cards, you look at the top three, pick one, and then put the other two in the graveyard. That also doesn't count as drawing, so that's a great way to take advantage of a card like Sylvan Library so you don't have to put any cards that you drew back because you didn't technically draw any extra cards. That is a really, really cool thing. But there's also a weird thing that can come up with Sylvan Library too because of the way that it's worded. Uh, And and this kind of matters if you happen to have drawn any cards during your upkeep so sylvan library mentions at the beginning of your draw step you draw two additional cards and if you do you choose two cards in your hand drawn this turn and then you have to pay four life to keep those cards well if you cast something like a brainstorm during your upkeep which draws through three cards and then puts two back and then you use the sylvan library during your draw step, you can actually put back the cards with the Brainstorm. It, like, counts those two because those were cards drawn this turn. And basically what I'm trying to say is, please don't do this because you might have to call a judge and they'll get mad at you.
0: I'm already mad at you for bringing it up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's also interactions here, too, because you're physically drawing those cards. Something like Alhameret's Archive, where Mm. for each card after the first one that turn, you would draw a second card. So with Sylvan Library, you technically... Draw an additional four cards, only have to put two back.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's real good. Or something,
1: something like um, psychic possession, which is an enchantment that you can put on someone else, where you skip your draw step, but whenever an opponent draws a card, you may draw a card. Same thing. You would draw the additional cards of a library even if they don't keep them
2: yeah oh and there's a commander uh, I call him Soul Tigum it's Tigum Sidisi's hand who forces mm-hmm. you to skip your draw step and has an upkeep trigger instead that lets you sort of do an Elder realm lich ability where you look at the top cards and you get to pick one and send the rest of the graveyard that's a thing that you can actually combo with some other really nasty cards that surround the draw step I think one of them is omen machine um, and then also maybe possessed portal um, where it says that people will like skip their draw steps uh, stuff like that or that players can't draw cards well he already skipped the draw step so he doesn't care it's no skin off of his back really and that's another thing that you can do if you're feeling a a little bit nasty Uh, Mm. but i don't want to talk about nasty cards with the draw step i actually prefer drawing cards so what i would like to do is actually talk instead about a card like howling mine which is sort of ulterior to the phyrexian arena distinction that you had made earlier in the show dana howling mine isn't an upkeep trigger it's actually a draw step trigger as long as it's untapped people will draw an extra card during their draw step. That is something that happens in the draw step, That is actually more beneficial to people necessarily than it is sort of the mean stuff like we were just talking about.
1: Now, now you have to have a way to tap it. You can't just tap the, the artifact to turn it off. But yes, there's a lot of ways you can play around by disabling those artifacts when it's convenient to do so, for sure. Yeah,
2: that's the nasty wording that I think a lot of people forget is on Howling Mine because it was actually how'd you take the the good the nice card the the group hug card and then start talking about you know depriving other people of resources, Dana? How'd you manage to do that? Yes, that is a thing that you can do with Howling Mine because if you find a way to tap it, you can prevent other people from getting uh, that ability because it says that it only works. Uh, as long as it's untapped, a wording that I think a lot of people forget about. But this card was designed way back when, when they had the idea that artifacts would be turned off, quote unquote, uh, if they were tapped, a thing that I'm glad that they abandoned very shortly afterwards. Uh, But yes, that is a nasty trick that you can do. And it's actually not the only nasty trick that you can do. I think that winter orb is worded the same way. So you can do some tap and untap shenanigans with winter orb to make sure that other people don't get to untap their stuff. But you do, which is yes that's mean yes checking my notes very mean indeed (laughs) oh man i want to talk about something wholesome dana i know that you don't like group hug but why'd you have to take it there man (laughs)
1: you know i just assume everyone who plays group hug is going to do something awful so that's where it went you know that is actually accurate being a group hug player myself that just yeah that tracks
2: absolutely uh there's actually one more thing that i want to talk about when it comes to the beginning phase though something that supersedes all of the stuff that we were just talking about we mentioned there's the untap the upkeep the draw but there's also one thing kind of before all of that and that's the phase phase if you played something like the fairy's protection or a Tanawa or something like that, all of your stuff is going to phase in before the untap step. Just a simple thing that we should probably note about when you begin to exist once more, it's a really popular card, so people should probably know uh, You know, that that's when that happens. Uh, it can kind of matter in case any end of turn or beginning of turn things will happen. You'll definitely experience those. It's not like you phase back in after you draw, for example.
1: Yeah, it doesn't come very often, but the fact that Teferi's Protection exists and is such a popular and powerful card has made the weird phasing interaction rules become much more something people are aware of today than they were, say, you know, five years ago.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if I'm excited necessarily for more cards that reference phasing to occur in the future, <laughs> but I am definitely excited no. for more cards of the power caliber of Teferi's Protection to exist for sure. All right. We're done talking about the beginning of the turn, but before we move to the tricks that you can pull off at the end of your turn, we've got a segment that we want to do, and that is challenging the stats. There's a lot of data on EDH rec, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards are seeing too much play, sometimes they're seeing too little play, so we like to challenge those numbers here.
0: Matt, do you mind starting us off with Challenge the Stats? I sure can. So mine is a pretty simple upgrade, especially in a lot of these Azorius decks that are floating around, any the, the blue-white control, any Esper control. It's just a simple, quick upgrade. Dovin's Veto is only played in 14% of eligible decks, and I want to compare that to Negate, which is in 23% of eligible, de- eligible decks. Uh, they're almost the same card. Negate is a counter-target non-creature spell for one and a blue. Whereas Dovin's Veto is a white and a blue, and it cannot be countered, but also counters a non-creature spell. I think those numbers should be much, much closer, as in Dovin's Veto should be in a higher percentage of decks, whereas Negate is in almost a quarter of any blue deck. I think any blue-white X deck should be at least you know, a quarter of those decks should be playing Dovin's Veto just for the sheer upside that Dovin's Veto cannot be countered. So you're not going to lose a counter war because Dovin's Veto is, is going out there versus Negate. It's just a marginal upgrade. It's not going to be earth shattering. It's not going to be some, you know, uh, revolutionary or, or whatever you want to call it. Any of my challenge stats, they're big deals normally. This one is a much smaller one.
2: <laughs> you once challenged a, the stats on a card that was only showing up in 6% of decks and you said that that was too high. <laughs> it was you mean big deals? very
0: impactful. And it was very helpful for all those Rayami players out there, Joseph.
2: Oh my goodness. Interestingly, it's it's funny that you mention uh, Dovin's Veto as a card that deserves to see more play in eligible decks because Dovin's Veto is actually the number one card from the 99 that came from uh, its set War of the Spark. It's actually the number one non-legendary card from War of the Spark. So folks know about it, but I do think that you're right about, you know, it does need to up its numbers in comparison to something like Negate. Sometimes that can't be countered clause is really, really important. Important. I suppose you might need to watch your colors a little bit if you are in like a five color deck and you want to play some type of counter spell, but not being, you know, susceptible to other people countering your stuff is a lot more important than you would think.
1: Yeah, and I did the same thing, Matt. I replaced in, in my Azorius deck, I absolutely pulled the gate out to put in Novin's Veto, and I've never regretted it once.
0: Yep. It's, it's not like, like I said, it's not an earth shattering type of pick, but it's just one of those things that. If you notice you're playing you know, an Azorius base deck and you don't have Dovin's Veto, but you do have Negaton, it's a very easy upgrade. It's, it's a very direct upgrade that I think a lot of players, they, mm-hmm. they want to look for the the big impactful upgrades versus those small marginal step-by-step you know, moves moves forward. So I do think Dovin's Veto. You're talking my language, Matt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dano, what is your challenge? Uh, my challenge is back to nature. It's a one in the green instant speed, Destroy all enchantments. And it's in 817 decks right now. Um, I, I do think it should be in, in more decks, but I think it should be in more decks right now for the moment. I think we're seeing a resurgence of enchantress decks just because of all the toys we got in Theros. And, you know, people who maybe aren't play, maybe don't play their enchantress deck that often are now bringing it out at the shop to play more frequently because it got new toys to test out. So even if they're not building a new deck... They're bringing the old one out to take it for a test run. And even if you don't maybe want to keep Back to Nature in your deck all the time, I think it's worth putting in your green deck right now. It's so difficult sometimes to interact with with one of those Enchantress decks once it kicks off. Privileged Position is a card that gets played a lot. Use your Greater Oromancy, you see Stirling Grove. Really the only way sometimes to deal with enchantments is to sweep them. And Back to Nature is so efficient, instant speed hits everything, gets around most protection aside from Teferi's protection. Um, It should be in more than 817 decks, I think, overall, but it definitely should be more decks right now and for the next several months as people are test driving a bunch of thero stuff
2: this is such a wild thing you're talking like a standard player you're talking about metas as they shift yeah, relative I mean, kind to of, the yeah. introduction of new sets and this is actually something that you also observed in the wake of war of the spark you were playing cards like the elder spell because as you noted yep. correctly at the time there was a big influx of planeswalkers all of a sudden that eventually ebbed away and i th- i actually think that you're totally right that we're probably going to see a lot more enchantments hitting the field so maybe being prepared for them is you know worth noting that's such a weird mindset i haven't played standard in so long but that actually might be prudent to start looking at the influx of new cards from new sets to see if that affects the balance of types of cards that they play such as planeswalkers or enchantments to wager whether to deal with them that's really interesting dana I'm an interesting guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? At least I'm not going to be able to deal with any of the uh, the indestructible gods. That's something that Return to Nature right. will be able to help you out with, so that yep, is something to be true. aware of for sure. All right, we're going to move on to my challenge, and that actually is going to be a card for an indestructible god. I'm looking within the deck, Athrios, Shroud, Veiled. This, of course, is the 6-mana god. He's a 4-7 with indestructible and that strange devotion clause. As long as your devotion to white and black is less than 7, Athros is not a creature. At the beginning of your end step, hey, an end step trigger, we haven't talked about those just yet, but we will get there. At the beginning of your end step, you put a coin counter on another target creature, and whenever a creature with a coin counter on it dies or is put into exile, you return that card to the battlefield under your control. So this is a really fascinating ability, sort of mirroring cards like, I think it's Unhallowed Pact um, or Debt of Loyalty, which can actually take creatures that die. You can either use this to protect your own creatures or you can use it uh, to sort of steal creatures from other players, which is why people are playing a card like Flicker Wisp in the Athreos deck. Flicker Wisp is a 3-mana elemental, 3-1 flying, that says when it enters the battlefield, you exile another target permanent and then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Normally, if you were to use Flicker Wisp on an opponent's permanent, it would return to its owner's control, But if it has a coin counter on it, Athreos' trigger will resolve before the Flickerwisp returns it to the battlefield under the owner's control, because Athreos' is immediate and Flickerwisp is a delayed one. So you can actually steal things with Flickerwisp, and that is a really cool synergy. It's the reason that 37% of folks are building uh, Athreos with Flickerwisp in the deck already, which is definitely interesting, but I actually want to challenge Flickerwisp here a little bit because I don't think it's necessarily as good as just a regular old removal spell would be you can get this same effect, remove someone else's creature and then steal it from them if it has a coin counter. You can get that effect by using just something like a curtain's call or some other type of removal effect. Or if you lean into other Creatures that actually do destroy things like Ravenous Chupacabra. There are several of these in white and black. Um, I would actually recommend leaning a bit more into those things because they have a bit more utility beyond the, the Flicker Wisp. Flicker Wisp is really good at stealing a creature that has a coin counter on it, but a regular destruction effect might be able to protect your life total. It might be able to also steal something used as a political tool. Flicker Wisp has neat synergy here, but I don't think that that necessarily outlives its utility compared to other things that will be able to do the same thing and at instant speed.
0: See, I don't I don't hate Flickerwisp in those decks. It's such a good utility card in general. If you're playing any enter the battlefield abilities on your own creatures, it's a good way to kind of flicker that and and get another copy of the effect. Yes, the obvious synergy with Athreos is, is pretty solid. I I will admit I didn't think of playing Flickerwisp when I first saw Athreos. I think that percentage sounds about right as far as a card that it's obviously very, very good with the commander and in ideal situations, but even as a worst case scenario, if you need to get something off the battlefield real quick, say they have a Voltron, but you know, the, the commander doesn't have hexproof, for example. A I mean, rare thing that it is a very rare thing, I agree. But you know, there there's there are worst case scenarios where Flicker Wisp is very, very good. Uh, maybe this is just a legacy player in me, and I've been blown up by Flicker Wisp enough that uh I think it's a fairly decent card. I don't think it's the greatest. I I do agree that it shouldn't be ubiquitous. But I do think probably that that 30 to 40% of decks probably are looking to play Flicker Wisp just as a general value card see
2: I just kind of worry that you know if Wisp is being used in this deck for example to blink one of your creatures what that might do is remove the coin counter from that creature one of the strengths of Athreos is that he can load up on defense for the creatures that you either took or that you have in play you know if you've got an Avicen Angel of Hope in your deck that gives all of your stuff indestructible and then Athreos puts a coin counter on it that Avacyn is not going anywhere but if you are routinely putting coin counters on things you're already getting those things back if they were ever to perish so a flick whips might actually reset those things in a way that I'm not sure I'm necessarily as happy about compared to something that a regular old removal spell might be able to do to either save my neck or steal a creature. Just seems like better utility there. Uh, But Time will certainly tell, this is definitely an early include, but basically what I want to do right now is invite Athreos players to look a little bit bit more critically at the synergies that are in the deck to see what their utility actually serves. Flicker strikes me as the kind of card that is mostly used to uh, steal creatures, and then there are removal spells that would actually be able to steal creatures and protect you if the time ever arises. All right, let's move back into our topic. We aren't talking about the beginning anymore, we're talking about the end. There are only two steps during the end phase, and that is the end step and the cleanup step. So the end step is when things that trigger at the beginning of the end step will happen. Uh, Note real quick here that some old cards used to say at end of turn, but that wording has been updated to now mean the beginning of the end step. So that's when you'll get stuff like your Marin of Clan Neltoth triggers, which is the best end step trigger ever because it revives (laughs) things and it's lovely. Uh, So that's when that thing would happen. But then there's also stuff like the clean up step. This is when you do the cleaning up to pass the turnover. You discard to hand size for example all damage on permanence goes away and any of those until end of turn effects like that of a giant growth or toxic deluge which give plus until end of turn or minus until end of turn that's when those things fade away and just like the untap step no one gets priority here during the cleanup step usually we'll we'll get to that
1: priority right um however unlike with the the untap step where we mentioned There's no way to put triggers ahead of something happening there, like with the Mirage Mirror, Frexian Arena thing. There kind of is in the end step in that there's there's a little window where you can cast or use instant speed abilities at the end of the second main phase. Right. So you can kind of get things in in front of at the beginning of your end step triggers in that little window there if you don't want to give someone the ability to respond with with sorcery speed effects.
2: Yeah, exactly. At the beginning of the end step, like during your end step, in Commander especially, this is a huge piece of the game because constantly we'll be doing things like cracking my myriad landscape before it's my turn or stuff like that. We'll cast this one instant. We'll flash this thing out at the end of your turn before it becomes mine and I untap my stuff, that is a huge consideration for a Game of Commander because people usually will want to wait to do stuff until the absolute last possible second to try and maintain, keep a lot of answers up or at least represent a lot of things uh, that they might be able to do. So the end step is really big, particularly the end step that happens right before it's your turn, and that's when people can cast those instant speed things right there during that end step. So a good card to help distinguish between the two parts of that uh, whole end phase between the end step and the cleanup step. A good card to illustrate this is the card Necropotence, which allows you to pay life to exile cards face down. Then at the beginning of the end step, you put those cards into your hand. And that's when, like you mentioned, Dana, you could do things like casting instants and stuff there if you want. Then you'll move to the cleanup step where you'll have to discard cards if you got too many cards from the Necropotence, which... Let's be real, a lot of us tend to do that. That's when you'd have to discard to hand size. So those are the two different steps there. Necropotence is a really good study in how to tell those two steps apart, because one is when you put those cards in your hand, and then afterwards you'll be discarding cards if you have too many from there. Uh, Note, though, that if you activate Necropotence during your end step, you won't get those cards into your hand until your next end step, because that is an at-the-beginning-of-the-end-step trigger. So if you do it during your end step, you're not going to see those cards for a while. Uh, So got to time that really, really carefully. But hey, what are some other things that can happen during the end step that you guys have seen? What are some cool at the beginning of the end step plays that you guys are
0: familiar with? Matt? I mean, pretty much anything Mono Red does. You talk about (laughs) the new Perforos. You talk about Sneak Attack, even stuff like Felden of the Third Path. Ilarg the Razebore. They're doing all these things where they're cheating stuff into play and then sacrificing at the beginning of the end step. You can use stuff like Sundial the Infinite to get around that though. So how it works is you wait till the end step happens, you put the triggers on the stack, and then you use Sundial of the Infinite while those triggers are still on the stack and ends the turn. Because what Sundial of the Infinite does is it ends your turn. Once the Sundial of the Infinite ability has resolved, all the abilities that are on the stack, all the spells, anything that says until end of turn, it everything just goes away. It clears a slate, passes the turn. It's super, super great if I know Benny Smith, good friend of the podcast. He runs a Valdeck deck and he has Sundal the Infinite to get around those sacrifice all of the elementals that Valdeck makes because you know, according to Valdeck, you have to sacrifice them at the end or at the beginning of your next end step. Sundial the Infinite gets around that because when the ability goes on the stack, it then gets a rid of that gets rid of that ability so you don't have to sacrifice them. There's all sorts of different abilities that you can do with Sundial of the Infinite.
2: And and that's a really important uh, point to make there is that you're responding to the uh, delayed Sacrifice trigger going onto the stack, not ending the turn before it gets to your end step. That is a really, really important distinction to make, because if you ended your turn using the Sundial of the Infinite ability before it became your end step, well, that trigger is still going to wait until the next end step, and then those cards would be sacrificed. So that's not going to do any good. What you do instead is exactly what Matt mentioned. You will respond to that trigger. It has successfully gone on. The delayed trigger will sacrifice those things. And then you exile those triggers by ending the turn as soon as so that you don't have to worry about them on any future turns. And that is a really important distinction to make that a ton of commanders like the ones that you mentioned can use. And you can also use, this is kind of tricksy too, you can use Sundial of the Infinite for other cards like Chance for Glory or Final Fortune, which say that you would lose the game at the end of the next turn, but you do take an extra turn like that can be used to again exile that i would lose the game thing so you get a free extra turn for really cheap with these spells and that can just be another trick that you can pull off like you said red's really good at this whole end step shenaniganery shenaniganery
0: and and there's
1: (laughs) there's really no hard and fast rule here either it's all about the wording about whether or not it's a trigger you need to deal with with it on the stack or if you can just bypass winning the turn.
2: Right. And also, here's kind of a funny thing. I had mentioned the card uh, Chance for Glory. Chance for Glory is a really, really weird one. It says it, it, So it's a, a Boros instant that says creatures you control gain indestructible. You take it an extra turn after this one. At the beginning of the next turn's end step, you lose the game. So like we said, you can do exactly that thing. You end the turn in response to that delayed trigger using the Sundial's ability. So you exile that trigger. You do not lose the game. But there's a really funny thing happening on the card chance for glory. It says that creatures you control gain indestructible. That's forever if you don't if you manage to survive the chance of glory effect if you manage to exile that trigger with the sundial or if you survive it because of a platinum angel which says that you won't lose the game to a trigger like this your creatures are just forever indestructible now because that is not a thing that goes away at the end of the turn
1: yeah that's a great little thing that i think it's really easy to miss unless you're like really digging down to the nuts and bolts of how a lot of these triggers and and phases work. Right.
2: But importantly, Sundial won't work on some of those things that happen until the end of turn, like the giant growths that we mentioned earlier. Sundial is useful getting rid of those at the uh, beginning of the end step triggers um, and, you know, exiling those or whatever, but it still ends the turn, which means the until end of turn effects like a giant growth, that buff is going to go away as soon as the turn has passed. Dana, what's another fun thing that might happen during an end step?
1: Um, you know, I'm kind of partial to things like M- the Mimic Vat tokens that you can make. Mm. Um, the way Mimic Vat works is you make a token that, that goes away at the beginning of the next end step. Um, so you can activate it during an opponent's end step after you've gotten past the beginning. Then go to your turn, untap everything, including Mimic Vat, and then make another token from the Mimic Vat with the first one still there because we have not yet reached the beginning of an end step with that token in play so you can get two of those things in play simultaneously
2: this is one of my favorite tricks that i always forget i have a buddy who plays mimic
1: so often and he does exactly this he'll get like a
2: grave titan or something underneath the mimic vat and then he'll use this trick to get another one so he'll have two grave titans on his turn and then attack with both of them and it's so painful and i always forget how good mimic Vat is at doing stuff like this it is such a sneaky interplay to be able to use something during an end step that will then go away on the next end step i love this trick
1: yeah it's i mean as if mimic Vat wasn't a cool enough card that's a it's a great little kind of like corner case pocket effect that that people who play with it a lot kind of know about, and it's super easy to miss. Yeah, and
2: it's also probably available to folks who are using effects like Kiki Jiki, for example. He has a similar ability to make a token copy of something that would mm-hmm. you know, go away. At the beginning of the next end step he can probably do a similar thing here where he's using it during an end step to make sure that he gets a version of it on his turn makes another one there so you can sort of double up on this effect in ways that people don't expect another fun thing that can kind of come up with uh end steps are actually blink effects there are a lot of blink effects that will flicker a creature exile it temporarily and then either immediately return it or return it at the beginning of the next end step so there's a couple of different versions of this ability But it's important to also note when you use them because of the thing that you just mentioned there, Dana. If you use an effect that blinks a card until the beginning of the next end step, if you use that ability during an end step, that creature won't come back until the next turn's end step. So this is a really important thing to... Keep in mind for a card like Rune of the Hidden Realm who has that wording, he returns things at the beginning of the next end step. You don't want to use this during an end step on one of your own creatures because you won't see that creature for a while. But what you could do is use it on an opponent's creature during an end step because then that creature won't be back until the beginning of the end step afterwards. And that might be able to like get a blocker out of the way for an extended period of time as opposed to the normal sort of cadence that we associate with blink this is actually something else tricky that you can do by sort of flipping from one end step into another the way that you mentioned like with that mimic of that ability
0: so joey this kind of reminds me a little bit of one of your favorite commanders in feather the redeemed so <gasps> you talk about how you like to time everything you don't want to wait until the very last possible moment because feather the way that she works You want to get those things back and you want to use them during either combat if you're playing your combat tricks or during your second main phase because if you wait too long, you're not going to get them back for quite a while.
2: Right, so Feather, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets a creature you control, she exiles that card instead of putting it into the graveyard as it resolves, and then returns that card to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. So, exactly, like we mentioned earlier, casting stuff during an opponent's end step is a really ideal time to do it, but if you do that, if you cast spells with Feather during an opponent's end step, you won't get them back until the next end step. So you're right, it's totally better to play those during a main phase than it is to do during an end step if you want to get them back, right? Away,
0: Yep. And it's a perfect way to keep your hand full. I know when we played, you always seem to have at least 15, 20 cards in hand because everything's a cantrip in that deck. And then you get that (laughs) spell right back and you're just going to cantrip even more. So the way that you always sequence those things, I, I will give credit where credit is due. You played it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah, it it
2: is uh, definitely a treat to see when the Boros deck is the one that's drawn the
0: most cards. And with the most mana, you had Smothering Tithe and just everybody was... Uh, Everyone was V-Jelly, as the kids would say
2: she's so so good but yeah keeping an eye on the timing and knowing about the way that her ability interacts with the end step is really important to playing her well so yeah making sure that you are aware of the timing of when you would get those cards back on the end step really really important thing there what about the cleanup step though are there any interactions that you guys know of that might happen not at the beginning of the end step or during the end step but during the game's cleanup phase anything that might happen that's a little tricksy there
1: The most obvious, I think, and probably most common one that people see is with the Gitrog monster. Mm -hmm. Um, The Gitrog monster draws you a card whenever lands go to the graveyard from anywhere. Um, This includes lands you discard. And in this case, ones you discard to go down to seven cards if you have more than seven in your hand. So typically when you get to your... To, to that, that step at the, at the very end of the game, the last thing you do is discard cards, and that's just where things end. <clears throat> the Gitchrock monster kind of changes that because it then forces a trigger onto the stack, allowing you to draw a card, which, you know, then puts you back to eight when you then have to discard again, and assuming it's a land card, then you draw again. So, like, and the Gitchrock monster keeps... basically kind of keeps you from ending the turn, and that's really... How the combo works in that deck a lot of times, that's the intent, to be able to keep that turn from ending, to keep drawing till you get down to where you want to get to.
2: Yeah, this is an interaction that I actually messed up quite a bit when I was playing both uh, Gitrog and Win Grace because you don't get to keep that card. If you have eight cards in hand, and then you move to the cleanup step, and you discard the game backs up because it sees a trigger is supposed to happen. This is what we mentioned earlier when we were moving into this section. We said that you don't normally get priority during a cleanup step. Well, this is that potential exception because when you you know discard a land with Gitrog during the cleanup step, the trigger needs to happen, so the game lets you do that. So you would draw a card to the Gitrog's ability, and then if that's a land... Or, well, you, you'd you have eight cards, and then you again have to discard because you'll move through the cleanup step. The cleanup step is not satisfied, so you do still have to discard. And if you discard another land, like you said, it can continue to go, and the game will wait until you discard a non-land card to be satisfied with that cleanup step. Um, this is also something that can happen with uh, madness cards too. Madness cards can be cast during a cleanup step sort of deal because you've got an ability there that could work because you technically discarded that card so normally people don't get priority during an end step uh, sorry during a cleanup step but this is actually one of those situations where people could get priority because if you would draw a card with that get rock trigger or cast a madness spell people might be able to respond to those things so this is a situation where you can force priority to exist in the cleanup step even though it's weird
1: yeah i mean in 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 the case of like madness you can actually cast those spells which is something that just doesn't ever happen during that point of the game, basically outside of madness.
2: Yeah, and man, I see discarding cards for value—that feels real good, guys. See, this is why I like things like the Bounce <laughs> Land so much because you can discard cards and you get more value from it. And then the graveyards are the best thing. See, this is—I love the cleanup step. This is one of my favorite things.
0: Uh, It's—it's it's something that all Necromancers out there probably need to study a little bit more as part of like their <laughs> reanimation, Boogles and Bones, whatever you lessons you Know that you're taking end step is one of those important things too.
2: Yeah, there's so much that can happen during these end step. Like I mentioned at the top of this particular section, Marina Clan Neltoth, she happens, she's got a trigger during the end step, and it's so good. And I'm really excited to see as the game goes forwards and we're seeing more cards developed specifically for Commander. I'm personally excited to see more of the abilities that happen during the end step. If you look at any ability on cards that are coming out nowadays, you see a lot less upkeep triggers and a lot more end step triggers because of commander really we don't want to wait super super long to be able to get those abilities we would actually prefer to get some of the value right away because nothing hurts so much when you play the card and it does nothing and then someone gets rid of it and it would have done something on your upkeep but you just weren't able to get there as opposed Mm -hmm. to the effects that happen during the end step where you would get value from them right away those are just so much more powerful so i'm really excited to see the way that the game develops going forward from there to have more of those end step triggers because that really can be so helpful during a game of commander very much and hey, maybe one of these days we'll even get that uh, that upkeep harmonicon like you mentioned earlier. That yeah, end step
0: harmonicon.
2: <laughs> that paradox haze harmonicon, exactly. Maybe that is a thing that will happen one day in the future. There's so much that can happen during an end step and an upkeep, and it's really good to know what type of value you can get from there because some of the most powerful things can indeed happen during the beginning and the end of the turn. With that, though, I think we are going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in
0: touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitter and now also find me on Twitch at Mathemus55. And Dana.
1: You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. And you can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can find the cast
2: at EDH on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDH data, or maybe a challenge the stats pick that you think we should know about, you can contact us at EDH at gmail.com. And don't forget about our episode 100 giveaway. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, and you can be subscribed to the podcast on YouTube. And those will all count as entries to the giveaway. And you will get two entries if you leave us a review on a podcast, uh, reviewer, such as something like iTunes and whatnot. So make sure that you are following us on those platforms and that you leave a review to be entered for that awesome giveaway listeners what are your favorite tricks and cards that work at the beginning or at the end of the turn what are the ways that you have found to get amazing value from those phases of the turn we'd love to hear about any cool cards and interactions that you've got during those particular steps and phases we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck